All right. Well, good morning. I uh, got new glasses, if you haven't noticed. Um, they, I went to, my, my birthday's coming up. Uh, hint, hint. Um, no, I'm just kidding. My, my birthday's coming up, and uh, my driver's license expires on my birthday. And so I went to get my driver's license renewed because they won't let you do it online after you've already done it online once. And I uh, went in, and they, they had that little black box and they said, uh, put your face into the black box and read off line five. So I did, and he said, try again. And I did. I said, move up to line four. Couldn't read that. He said, how many columns are there? And I said, I think that there's two. And he said, I think you're going to have to go get glasses. Uh, and so now I have glasses. So now, I, you know what's amazing is I can see whether you're sleeping or not. Uh, in, past, in the past, I didn't know. And, uh, and so now I know uh, whether you're going to make it through the message. Uh, and then I decided to uh, dress a little casual today because it's, it's in honor of my daughter's 15th birthday uh, today. And I don't think she's in here because she knew that if she came in, I was going to embarrass her. She didn't come to first service either, so she probably needs to check her heart. Um, I've been doing this, this thing recently where... Uh, you know, here's the challenge with two services, with, uh, with as many people as we have come to the churches, is it's hard on a Sunday morning to really get to know anything about anyone. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we could say hi to each other in the lobby. We could see somebody that we recognize, and we know we met them last week, and we probably even talked to them last week and uh, got their name, but we forgot their name. And, uh, and so, it's, you know, usually the interaction is, hey, how's it going, uh, buddy? And, uh, and, and then it's like, oh, it's going good. I'm just, I'm busy, you know, because that's usually what, what our response is. But, but everything's going good. And, and then we just go on with, our, with the rest of our service and our day. Uh, and so I've kind of been doing this thing where I'm, I'm forcing you guys to interact with one another. And, uh, and I'll give you a question uh, that you have to answer to somebody in uh, here that's not your spouse. Uh, because spouse is in the safety zone. Uh, and and I'm looking to I'm looking to minimize right. So uh, I want us this morning to find somebody that's not our spouse, and I want you to share a time in your life. And this is a little bit more like vulnerable per- personal experience, but a time in your life where you had an unmet expectation, where you thought something was going one way, you thought something was going to turn out a certain way. Only to, to be, only to find out that it didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen. All right, so if you have to get up, you can get up. Take a couple of minutes. Find somebody. I know this is, this is like if you're visiting with us this morning, this is not what you do for visitors, but we're going we're gonna to do it anyways.
All right, all right. So I asked Kelly, I asked my wife Kelly on the way here, I said, uh, so is there any specific, you guys aren't done yet, just feel free, just let me, let, let me know when you guys are done, I'll, I'll start talking again. Oh look, there's my daughter, she's 15 today. She's, she's like, I'm out of here. Oh, I'm old. No, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You're cutting into my message time, and I'll not have it. So I asked my wife, Kelly, on the way here, I said, has there been any, any time in particular, a specific example where there's something that she expected me to do where I didn't exactly meet her expectations, you know, and, and she said no. So I thought, that's not, no, she actually said, how many examples do you need? So what happens when we have unmet expectations? What kind of emotions or feelings are invoked when we, when, when we think something's going to go one way and then all of a sudden it shifts? What are, what are some of the emotions and the feelings that we have? Okay, so disappointment. What else? Depression? Fear? You guys went from like not speaking at all so now I can't, like, hear everybody. Okay, so uh, we might have to go to hands, like fifth grade school. Okay, yes. Confusion? Murder? You know, I'm not kidding you. Somebody first service said homicide. I don't know what it is with our church, but we need a prayer team bad. Yes. Anxiety? Yeah. Yep. Resentment? Yes. Betrayal? Disillusionment, yes. Grief, what? Pain. Yeah, these are the these are the things that that come up when things don't go the way that we think that they should. Somebody, somebody want to share? <laughs> I want us to to think about uh, Palm Sunday today. It's Palm Sunday. I don't know what to do. I don't. I, I, I like. I was teaching a. I was teaching a workshop yesterday, and I'm not going to tell you the dynamics because it's super depressing. But uh, I was teaching, and all of a sudden, I, I'd asked a question, and somebody shared something, and it was like done. Like it. What? <laughs> like like I. It, I was done. It was done. And the whole thing. Like the meeting was just over. Because the, one person ended up like stopping the whole meeting, and I didn't know what to do then. I certainly don't know what to do now, but thank you for letting me speak. So I want to talk about Palm Sunday. I, I, don't, I, I don't know that I've ever done a message on the history of Palm Sunday and the, the, the context of, of what, this, what this Sunday is really about. And, uh, and, and so I want us to to think about what we've just been talking about with unmet expectations and then put it in the context of, of Palm Sunday. So, so just imagine Jesus is uh, traveling, right? He's, he's moving, he's headed to Jerusalem. And, uh, and on this Sunday, he, he's already been to a place called Bethany. 
And in Bethany, this is where Jesus, if you remember the story, raises Lazarus from the dead. And so he goes from Bethany after being there and raising Lazarus from the dead. He, he travels across the, the crest of the Mount of Olives. I've had the privilege to be in Israel. And it's just this amazing experience of, of, of being where Jesus was. And, uh, and, and so he, he's coming over the crest of the Mount of Olives to a place that's called Bethpage. And, and it's down the western slope of the mountain. And it's on his way to Jerusalem. And he sits on this donkey. And he's preparing to ride into the city. And I wonder what Jesus might have been thinking as he looks down into the city streets and he sees their faces, he hears them cheering, he's, they're crying out and they're, they're singing and, they're, and they're, there's just all of this noise and this receptivity to Jesus. And it's pandemonium. Because in, in what's happening is, is in Jerusalem at this time, normally there'd be about 40,000 people. But because this is uh, the, the first day of observance of the Passover where the Jewish people are emancipated from, uh, from, from the slavery in Egypt, now the 40,000 people has, uh, has swelled into 200,000 people. And every faithful Jew that's living within 100 miles of the city had traveled to Jerusalem to observe Passover together. And Jesus sees them as he's entering into the city. He's been in their towns. He's, he's healed their sick. right? He, he's taught in their synagogues. He's, he, he knows what this expectation is. He knows that these people are actually awaiting a Messiah to come and to overthrow Rome and deliver them from the injustice they've been experiencing. I wonder what's going on in Jesus' mind as he hears the crowds cheering for him and he hears voices saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest, save us, save us. See, Jesus knows that just in a, few short days that, those, that most of those people will then go from saying, save us, rescue us, they'll move into something that's along the lines of mocking him. They'll move into something that's calling for his crucifixion. And, and I think it's impossible for us to even imagine how painful it must have been for Jesus as he's sitting there on his donkey, as he's heading into this city, to, to know that he actually was what the people needed, but not necessarily what they wanted. Jesus was the king that they had been hoping for, what they had been waiting for, yet he knew that he was going to disappoint them temporarily in order to save them eternally. Their expectation of Jesus as Messiah and their expectation of what he was coming to do was very different of what he was actually going to do. And so we can relate to this. We can relate to a group of people who thought something was going to turn out one way only to have it turn out completely different. We had this picture of a future that looked very, very different. And as we discovered this morning, when something doesn't work out the way that we think it's going to work out, what happens is that disappointment, that frustration of our unmet expectations turns to things like disillusionment, to anger, to frustration, to, to all sorts of negative things. So in what ways in your life, and this is rhetorical, I don't, I don't need you to answer, but 
In what ways in your life have others not met your expectations? Have you been honest with them? Have you talked with them about it? Or do you just turn your back on them and and walk away? In what way has maybe God not met your expectations? And that's one we don't really want to talk about all that much because we're like, you know, I don't want to get lightning on me. But but I think if we're being honest, there's times in our life where maybe God hasn't met the expectations of what we thought we wanted. And my question for you this morning is, have you been honest with him? Have you told him? Because he understands, he knows he wants to be in the mess of our life, and he, he understands that there's maybe things that we think that we want, but he knows it's not what we need. As Jesus gets ready to ride into Jerusalem, he knows the hearts and the minds of these people that are in the street that day, and he loves them. He cares tremendously about them. He knows that they are desperately in need of him and that he's everything that they need. But he also knows that most of them will miss who he really is and what he came to do. So let's talk about these people for a little bit this morning because the reality is is it would be our temptation to see a group of people who had Jesus riding in the streets right there in front of them and for us to, without having the context of what these people were living through, it would be easy for us to judge them. I found myself at times as I read through the Old Testament, I find myself judging the Israelites. I'm like, God's providing manna every single day from heaven and you turn your back on him. Like, that doesn't even make sense. God delivered you from slavery from Egypt and you're now making idols and all kinds. And I start judging them. But, but I think it would be easy for us this morning on this Palm Sunday to, to begin to have a little bit of judgment come against these Jewish people Because we see them in the streets, they have the Messiah there, and yet they end up turning their backs on him. So before we jump to any conclusion, let's just see if we can learn a little more about who they are and what they've been through. And maybe this morning we can identify a little bit with them. So a hundred years prior to this moment where Jesus is getting ready to ride his donkey into the streets of Jerusalem, a hundred years prior under the brutal leadership of a guy named Caesar Augustus in, in 63 BC, he invades this holy city that Jesus is going into. Completely takes over. God's people had won independence many years before that during something called the Maccabean Revolt. You guys are going to all remember this, and, and I'll, I'll give you a quiz at the end. And they were free for for at least a short time. But then the Roman Empire comes in and invades Jerusalem, occupies the entire city under Caesar. And the people are upset, clearly. And so Caesar decides, you know what, I'm going to give them their kind of their own pseudo-king, a guy that I can control. His name's Herod. Which I have come to discover that Herod gave himself, like self-titled him, uh, Herod the Great. Which I didn't know you could do. Like, I didn't know that was a thing where it's like, hey, my name's Ryan, Ryan the Great. Like, like, from now on, you can refer to me as Ryan the Great because you can apparently tell people that that's who you are. And so Herod brought God's people under control. Herod the not-so-great brought people under control through this immense brutality. And for all intents and purposes, they become slaves again. 
They're living under this brutality, and these people are clinging to life with the promises of God and the prophecies of old, knowing that there was going to be this coming deliverer, knowing that the Messiah would come, he would usher in justice and peace that they hadn't experienced in over 100 years. These are the people who were in the city that day, lining the streets, waiting for Jesus to enter into Jerusalem. Of course, Herod also knew the Old Testament prophecies as well. And so shortly after Jesus was born, Herod knew, had heard that, that there was news of a king that was being born in the region. And so what he did is he decided, he ordered that all of the, the, uh, the boys under the age of two would be killed. I mean, think about that. You're a mom with a, a baby, a, a baby boy, a brand new baby boy, and the Roman soldiers come in and take it to, to murder it. These are the people who are lining the streets waiting for their Messiah to come. After Herod dies, his kingdom is divided between his three sons, the Jewish people see this as a chance to rise up. And so they get some, some zealots together and they start rising up. And so the Roman army comes in then and tries to seize control and takes over control uh, of the city and, and in, in a sense of trying to create order, decides to send a message to the Jewish people. And so the Roman soldiers come and they take 2,000 Jewish people and they crucify them and line them on the streets of Jerusalem. The friends and the families of those people who were crucified that day are now in the city cheering on the coming Messiah. Their, their kids have heard the stories. They know the prophecies and they're believing with everything that's in them that this is going to be their deliverer. And we can see why they would cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, rescue us from this tyranny. They're crying out for the coming king to make his triumphal entry and to overthrow Rome, to save them from terror, oppression, and, and injustice. They're desperate. They're angry. They're hopeless. They're, they're afraid. And they see their deliverer coming. They believe it's him because He's riding in on a donkey, and they know 500 years prior that there was a prophet named Zechariah who said this. He said, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. These were faithful people who believed the prophecies. They trusted God, and they, and they believed that their Messiah was going to come. And that's why on Palm Sunday... They lined the streets, they, they took off their jackets, they took the shirts off of their back and they, they laid them down on the streets as if it was a red carpet. It's why they're, they're waving palm branches. It's why they're shouting Hosanna in the highest because they believe their deliverer has come. He's gonna wipe out our enemies and we will finally be free. 
Jesus, much to their disappointment, was unfortunately on a different mission. Not victory over Rome, but victory over sin and death. Not to to rescue them on a war horse, but to rescue all humanity on a cross. He rides into the city. He goes straight to the temple where they had turned it literally into a swap meet. And he reclaims the temple for God's house. We know that the Pharisees were threatened by Jesus, and so they start stirring things up with the people who believe that this is their deliverer. And Jesus doesn't rescue the people from Rome. And so they turn on him. So what happened? How did they they turn on him so quickly? How did the people go from hailing Jesus as king on a Sunday to shouting crucify him just a few days later? How did things go from a triumphal entry on Sunday to carrying his cross on a Friday from cloaks being laid before him on a Sunday to his clothes being ripped from his frame on a Friday? From crowds gathering around him on Sunday to his closest friends abandoning him on Friday. How did they turn so quickly? I think it's really that a significant part of the answer to that question is that they had unmet expectations. They were dealing with frustration and anger and disappointment of unmet expectations. They had a preconception of what their life was going to become and how it was going to happen and when it was going to happen and when Jesus didn't do things the way that they had hoped or thought. They immediately had emotions that begin to fuel their anger and their angst and their rage. And we can relate to that. I can relate to that. I can relate to this idea that having experiences of unmet expectation leading to bitterness, leading to frustration and disappointment in our lives, feelings of powerlessness or loss of control, hopelessness and confusion. Some of us are probably dealing with those feelings even now. Because for too long we've put our hope and our trust in someone or something And it hasn't met our expectations. And emptiness and disappointment has come in our lives. There's a a psychologist in Austin by the name of Jamie Coleman, and she says this about expectations. We often create expectations as a way to try to predict and or gain control of a situation. Expectations can be created based on our past experiences, unmet needs or future hopes, along with other things. The problems with expectations occur when they are unmet or unfulfilled by reality. It's this gap between our expectations and reality that create this enormous amount of disappointment and hurt feelings and shame and anger and frustration. And it's important to gain a better understanding of ourselves, others, and our relationships in order to better understand our expectations and their power. We have to have a healthy expectation of God in our lives. 
But normally when someone talks to us about having healthy expectations, it's usually in the context of lowering our expectations. So a pastor will stand at the platform and will preach to you and say, it would be best if you lower your expectations because you will live a more content life. At times, I'm sure that's probably the best advice, but but today, that's not what you're going to hear. Today, I think it would be wise for us to raise our expectations of God. See, for the Israelites, the problem wasn't that that they were the, the problem that they were having in Jerusalem on, on that Palm Sunday was not that their expectations were too high and that Jesus, that Jesus was not going to live up to them. The reality is, is their, their problem was the expectation was too low. And so they missed him. They, they missed the fact that, that, wasn't, that it wasn't just that Jesus wasn't coming just to merely change their circumstances so that they could be at peace but instead that Jesus was actually coming to make a way for all of us to live in peace and joy and love and have hope no matter what our circumstances are. See, for them, they they really didn't have the rest of the story, but we do. And so the last thing you're gonna hear is me saying, I think we should lower our expectations of God. Instead, maybe this Easter season, we go into this coming weekend, what would it look like if we were to raise the expectations of what we believe that God can do in our life? If our expectation is is that somehow God is going to change our spouse, you know, I don't know what Paul was talking about, and, you know, if, if you're Spouse looks torn and I don't or worn whatever I don't know what he's talking about but but if if you have this idea that that it, God just changed my spouse what would it look like if we raised our expectations and we said God will you change me towards how I view my spouse I mean if if our expectation is God I, I need more provision in my life what would it look like if we raised our uh, our our, our expectations to God, would you change me so that I would be in such a place of contentment that everything that I have has come from you? If our expectation is that God's just going to change our circumstances this year, what would it look like if we raised our expectations and said, God, will you change me in the midst of my circumstances and just see how that goes? us. See, Paul understood this. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more. God is in the business of doing infinitely more than anything we could ever dream or imagine. That sounds like high expectations. See, God's love for us is unconditional. His love is limitless. His his love has our best interest in mind. So much so that on that first Palm Sunday, he recognized that what they wanted and what they needed 
were radically different. Jesus was willing to disappoint a people temporarily in order to change us forever. Jesus understood what he was doing. And he loved them so much that he was willing to do it regardless of their expectations. I wonder if, as we go into our week this week, we could maybe go into it with a a raised expectation of what God wants to do through your life. That maybe, maybe, just maybe, he, he wants to create a divine moment where you get to be a reflection of who he is to people around you. At your work, at home, in your neighborhood, school. That if we begin to raise our expectations of what he can do through us, He's always faithful in that, to do exceedingly more than we could ever dream or imagine. I want us to pray, and I want us to be honest as we continue this morning in worship. I want us to be honest with with our Father, with our Heavenly Father, about expectations that have gone unmet. God, I think it's important to, to put our trust completely in you. We've got so, so much. It's so easy for us. It's just such human nature to have these high expectations of people, of our jobs, of our finances. Like we put all of these expectations. We think something's going to go that way, and we put it in, in such human things. And we're always disappointed in that. God, today, could we just shift away from that that direction of expectation and move our expectations to you? Could we be reminded, God, that that we we surrender completely to you? Could we maybe even today increase our expectations of what you can do in our life, through us, through the people around us, through the people that we love. God, I understand those people lining the streets and being so quick to shift, to pivot when expectations aren't met. And so I don't judge them, but I I do ask for forgiveness for my own life, where I've been so quick to judge been so quick to maybe blame, blame you for things that I want, but not necessarily things that I need, and ask for your forgiveness for that today. God, as we continue on in our worship, Lord, let this be a time of of honesty with you, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.